Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're posting a Bible study each Wednesday evening at the same time that we meet at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ here in Omaha, Nebraska. At 6.30 each Wednesday evening, our local time. Now, We know that there are people in the Omaha area who cannot be with us at that time. We also know that there are people who listen across the country and around the world. They want to be in God's Word. They want to be in a Bible study. They want to learn more of what God's teachings really are. And so we're thankful to be able to broadcast, to be able to teach God's Word through the medium of the Internet and and by means of these podcasts, everywhere where the internet is 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 uh, accept is is uh, uh, available, and so we're thankful to be able to do that. We're thankful that you want to learn God's word, and we're thankful that we are here and able to communicate His word to you by means again of the internet and these podcasts. We encourage you to tell others about these studies, and we encourage you to share these studies with others through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means with everybody you can, your family members, your work associates, your neighbors, with literally everybody you can. You may help somebody grow in their faith because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17, and you may thereby help somebody come closer to God. So share these studies. Also, tell everybody to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, click in the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. Now, it's free. It always will be free. And when they sign up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive a whole lot of Bible teaching, including this Wednesday night Bible class. And it will, again, all be free. It'll go right to their smartphone or computer or whatever smart device they choose. So tell everybody you can and take advantage of it yourself. We're going to get back into our study of the gospel account of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ according to John. Now, as we introduced this particular study last time, and we looked at the first five verses, we talked about how John, the gospel account according to John, stands alone, so to speak, to a great extent, from the other three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those three are referred to or kind of identified as synoptic gospels, and that simply means they pretty well cover the same same historical period of Jesus's public ministry. Now, they begin with, uh, at least Matthew and Luke do, with his birth, But then we're not told much about his growing up years, told very little, in fact, and really his young adulthood up until the point he begins his ministry upon this earth. And those three books pretty well cover the same period of history in his birth and then his ministry upon this earth. John does not go back over those separate, or those, those uh, historic accounts, it does not go back and look at that same timeline of events and teachings and miracles and so on. It, it, it kind of stands alone in covering particular details and particular teachings by Jesus. Uh, it, it gives us some identity of Jesus that the three other gospel accounts do not necessarily 
give in as in as depth and profound a way as the gospel account according to John does. And it, an example of that is right off the bat in those first five verses, as we looked last time, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, there's no question there that Jesus is being identified as God the Son, because verse 12 says, as many, uh, sorry, verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So there's no question that Jesus is the subject or the object of the word, Word, in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's no, no beating around the bush in identifying Jesus as God the Son. And then it talks about his eternal nature in verses 2 and 3. In, he was in the beginning with God, indicating he is just as eternal as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. We talked about how in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, the apostle Paul affirmed this, this truth as well. Jesus was right there in the beginning, not being created, as one religious group insists. No, he was right there as eternal as God the Father God the, and God the Holy Spirit. He is part of the Godhead, if you want to refer to it that way. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. And he was right there in the creation process, creating, taking part in creating everything that was created. Verse 4 says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is our way to eternal life through salvation, through coming to him as the Savior, as God the Son. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so here in John chapter 1 and verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Eternal life is found only through Jesus Christ. We cannot come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. There is no other pathway, no other avenue to God except through Christ. And in Romans 6 and verse 23, the apostle Paul wrote, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of eternal life is, uh, the gift of eternal life is through Christ Jesus. And so we have the opportunity to have eternal life in heaven, but through Christ. So in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, John, of course, is speaking from the present perspective of when he was writing this, but he's also referring to how the Jews to whom Jesus was sent primarily with the gospel message of salvation how they rejected him by and large. And so in him was life and the life was and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did, comp did not comprehend it. There has been no time virtually with maybe go the exception of going back to the very beginning 
Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis chapter 2 and the begin the first in fact not even the first few verses of chapter 3. But before the devil appeared on the scene and lured Eve into disobeying God by eating the fruit of the tree that God told her and Adam, stay away from, don't touch it, let alone don't eat it. And then he used Eve to lure Adam into committing the same sin of disobedience to God. Up until that point, then perhaps we could, we could say, okay, man was in its pure state, sinless, innocent. But again, Genesis chapter 3, very quickly, it would seem from the textual account, after God had created man and the woman and put them in the garden, they became sinners. And so sin is likened to darkness. When you look at 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1 and verses 5 through 8, sin is likened to darkness, and there is no darkness in God. God is absolutely pure, absolutely righteous, absolutely good. Now, so Jesus came to shine light in the darkness, the light of forgiveness and salvation through him as the Savior, coming to God through him for forgiveness and salvation, for redemption. Now, the darkness, that's basically everybody in the world, because basically everybody in the world is guilty of sin. Now, unless you get down to the very young children who are incapable of even understanding the concept of sin because they're so young, or maybe the people who have been born into this world with many ha- with with uh, mental handicaps that you know do not enable them to comprehend any of these kinds of principles, but mankind in general, the vast, 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 vast majority, almost all of mankind, guilty of sin. In fact, the Apostle Paul put it in in Romans chapter 3 and verses 9 and 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when Jesus came to shine light in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it, he came to bring the light of the gospel message of forgiveness and salvation and redemption through him as the savior of mankind. And yet the Jewish people to whom he came primarily to bring that message, and then as they became Christians, as they became his disciples, his followers, they were supposed to spread it throughout all the world, even to the Gentile populations of the world. Most of the Jews tragically rejected Jesus. So the light shines in the darkness. He brought the light of forgiveness and salvation through the gospel, through himself as the Savior. But the darkness, those in sin, those who disobeyed God, those who would not accept Jesus as their Savior, They did not comprehend it. They did not believe in him. Well, let's pick up with verse 6. The text goes on. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might might have, uh, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now, who's that light? Well, again, going back to verse 4, Christ, 
Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is identified in the scriptures, in the New Testament scriptures, as the light of the world. Well, here, John, this John is, from a biological perspective, he was the the cousin of Jesus, the cousin of Jesus. And God used John, referred to as the Baptist, which is really a misnomer in a sense, because he was the immerser. All right. Now, John, the cousin of Jesus, God used him and sent him to prepare the way for the Savior opening up, so to speak, his public teaching, his public ministry for a period of about three to three and a half years. John went before Jesus telling the people, preaching to the people, teaching the people that the Savior was at hand. The Savior was coming. Now, John was not that light. Verse 8 again, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Jesus, the Christ, was and is that light. John was preparing the people that light, the Savior, the Messiah prophesied through the Old Testament scriptures. He's, He's about to make his appearance. He's about to begin his public ministry. John was preparing the way. Now, also something we need to understand, John did not establish any church upon this earth. There is one religious, one large denominational group that call themselves Christians who, from my understanding and my reading, they'll say largely, John started the church. John established the church in this earth. The Christian church, absolutely false, absolutely false. John did not come to establish any church. He was not sent by God to establish any church. John did not start any church upon this earth. Jesus established the church. Jesus established the church. He told the apostles, upon this rock, I will build my church, not John's church. And John was not the builder of that church. He did not establish that church. Jesus established the church. When you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it talks about the church being the body of Christ, the body of Christ, not the body of John, John not being the head of the church, but Jesus being the head of the church and the church being his body from a spiritual perspective. I want to read Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and verses 22 and 23. And here's what the text says. Again, the Apostle Paul writing this. This is God's very word. Uh, Let me get to the right page here. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. And he, that is God, put all things under his feet, that is Christ's feet, and gave him, Christ, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body of Christ, not the body of John. John did not establish the church. Jesus did. When we look in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, he, speaking of Christ, is the head of the body, the church, 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He may have the preeminence. So Jesus is the head of the church. The church is his body. Again, in verse 24 of Colossians chapter 1, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is its head, its only head. When you get into denominational circles, you will commonly find some kind of man-devised, man-made-up organizational structure wherein there's a governing body or board of directors or some kind of synod or council, and they will lay out the rules for all of the different congregations within that denomination. This is what you're to believe. This is what you're to teach. This is what, this is what we have decided that the Bible t- says and what we can teach as doctrine and so on. That, again, is completely not, it's completely made up by man, and it is not in the scriptures whatsoever. The only head of the church is Jesus. It is his body. And the only authority for what we are to believe and teach and practice as the church, our Lord's church, is the Bible. Nothing else. When you start appointing man-devised, man-structured synods, conventions, councils, boards of governors, that is anti scriptural, and therefore it is unscriptural. It has no authority within the scriptures. Okay, we come back to John chapter 1. So I wanted to make that point. John did not establish the Christian church upon this earth. John did not bring it into being. He came to prepare the way for Christ who established the church. His church Christianity. John was simply a messenger sent ahead of Christ to prepare the way for him, to teach people that the Savior was at hand and was coming. So we come back to John chapter 1. We look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Now, this is speaking of Christ, going back to verse 9. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. And again, going back to verse 4, Jesus is identified as that light, that light of men. In verse 11, he came to his own, Christ came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Well, John saw that firsthand. He was a divinely appointed apostle of Jesus Christ. He, he was one of the 12 who went, Jesus, who went with Jesus teaching about his being the Savior and presenting the gospel message of salvation through him. John saw how most people rejected him. So he came to his own, that is to the Jewish people, and his own did not receive him. Most of the Jewish population, vast, vast, vast majority rejected Christ, did not believe in him. So when somebody starts saying that ultimately somehow salvation is tied to 
Israel? Somehow, God's plan is to come back to Israel and establish the throne, Christ's throne in Jerusalem. Israel rejected Christ. Understand that. God's plan was always for the physical nation of Israel to be his people spiritually and to, when the Savior came, when Jesus came into this world, to transition into being his followers and become Christians, become a part of the church that Jesus established on this earth. Israel, physical Israel, did not do that. We need to understand that. They are not Christian. Now, do you have some who come from the bloodline of Israel who became Christians and still some who are becoming Christians to this day? Yes. But again, what we understand as Israel over there in the Middle East today, they are, for the most part, again, almost exclusively, they are still living under the law of Moses in some way. They are not Christians. We need to understand that. And that's what John is talking about here. Jesus came to his own. Jesus was born physically into this world through the bloodline of Abraham, and he was therefore, in physical form, a Jew. He came to his people in, in, in that sense to bring the message of salvation that God had prophesied was coming, and his being the Savior bearing that message, and that, again, prophesied numerous times in the Old Testament scriptures to the Jewish people, but they rejected him. They did not accept him, did not believe in him as the Savior, did not believe in his message of salvation. So he came to his own, his own did not receive him, verse 11. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Now, who has the right to become children of God? Those who believe in him. What does believing in his name, what does believing in Jesus really mean in its fullness? We obey his teachings. We repent of our sins. We confess our faith in him as God's son and our Savior openly, and we surrendered him in baptism, at which point the blood he shed on the cross as our Savior cleanses us of the guilt of our sins. And that's what Jesus sent Ananias to teach Saul of Tarsus, a leader among the Jews at that time, and a persecutor of Jesus's church. And Ananias came to him and said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And Saul of Tarsus obeyed. He was baptized and became a Christian, an ultimately powerful gospel preacher and a divinely appointed apostle of Jesus Christ. But he had to change. He had to change. He had to receive, accept Jesus, not just intellectually, but obediently as God's Son and his Savior. So as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now, notice to become children of God. When people say we're all God's children, 
they need to get back into the scriptures and read more carefully who truly are the children of God in this most ultimate and this most important sense. You don't become something that you already are. When Jesus came into this world, he brought the message of forgiveness and salvation and also the message of adoption. He says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Again, you don't become something that you already are. When you look in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, and also Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, the apostle Paul, in two different texts, two different of his letters, inspired by God through the Holy Spirit, guided to write God's very word, he goes into detail as to the fact that when a person is baptized into Christ, becomes a Christian, God adopts that person into his family as his, as his child, as his son or daughter. Now, again, you don't adopt your own children. You adopt other children into your family. So we need to understand that important lesson as well. And then verse 13, who were born not of blood. Well, let's go back to verse 12 again and, and, and catch this whole sense here. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we're not talking about everybody born physically are children of God in this most important sense, in this spiritual sense, but only those who come to him obediently and accurately through Jesus Christ. God adopts them as they become true Christians, as his children, into his family. And then verse 14, and the word became flesh. Now the word again, being Christ, and we've looked at verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John, his cousin, John the Immerser, bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred is preferred or ranks higher. He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now, John the Immerser physically was actually born before Jesus, physically, by several months. But he says Jesus was before him. Of course, Jesus was there in the beginning. He was there eternally, going back to verse 2. So John says, he who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The fulfillment, the ultimate transition from the law of Moses into the gospel of Christ, into Christianity, the law of Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Jesus came from the presence 
of God the Father. He came into this world fully human in form, but fully divine at the same time in essence as God the Son, the Savior of mankind, the Redeemer. What a great and instructive chapter, this first chapter of the Gospel according to John is for us. We'll pick up with verse 19 next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your word to guide us in your truth. Help us to understand it and embrace it and and live by it. And thank you, Father, for giving us your word to teach us about your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and help us to always follow him in fullness and in fullness of obedience as well. Help us to be the shining lights that you want us to be of salvation from you through Christ to the world around us. Please forgive us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.